This podcast contains adult language and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. We're going to start this episode with some good news. We're going to announce the winners of our giveaway. So, JenBunny07, Sarah.Elizabeth, Rebecca.Bankhead, Nicole4407, and The Canadian Kid, because we're international. You guys have won some free shirts. (laughs) Check your DMs for a message from us on how to claim your prize. So, we're going to dive right back into the case because there's a lot going on (laughs) We don't want to be here all night. Yeah, we left you a little bit of a hanger for part one. Yeah, so when we left off part one, the West Memphis Three had been tried and convicted of the brutal murders of Chris Byers, Stevie Branch, and Michael Moore. And obviously this was with a fake confession and a bogus eyewitness testimony and testimony from some junk expert and zero physical evidence. What is a junk and expert? That guy that has the mail-in degree. Oh, the, oh junk expert experts i thought you were talking about junk experts someone who's an expert in junk and i was like what does that have to do with any of it but that guy that said that he was a like an expert in occult practices it's like what are you talking about dude that guy's interview is so funny though (laughs) like it It is funny it actually is quite entertaining if you don't think about what that ended up the result of that ended up being because it was obviously devastating for these three boys yeah, absolutely. If you don't realize that he's actually testifying, that people actually believe him, it, yeah. it's it's very entertaining. But once you realize it's the real deal, not great. Yeah, just to watch it to laugh at, it's super funny. <laughs> anyway, so they've been appealing their cases and trying to get a retrial or testing of DNA for an exoneration. And the stupid judge, David Burnett, just really doubling down on being right and just denying everything. And that's kind of where we left you guys off on part one, so... We're going to get back into it now, huh, Grant? Let's do it. So by 2011, there's a lot of media attention on this because there are a lot of people who believe these guys are innocent. Yeah, so there's been a couple of books written and a few movies and documentaries made about this case since they were convicted, which caused a lot of attention and, you know, eyes on the case. And we're not going to go super deep into the books. You read The Devil's Knot book, yeah, which I you did. said was great. Yeah, it's one of my favorite books. The best thing about movies is, like, no reading. So <laughs> we're not going to go, like, too far into all the books. But but if you are going to look at some of the books, Damien Eccles released his own book in 2005 called Almost Home, Volume 1. And it was about his point of view of the case and everything that had happened. And then in 2012, a biography of John Mark Byers was written by Greg Day, and that's called Untying the Knot, John Mark Byers and the West Memphis Three. So there are a couple pieces out there if you want to go read them. And one of the main reasons why I would recommend the John Mark Byers biography is because he is a fucking cartoon character. He really is. Like, he is just so boisterous and loud and awkward and... And the things that he says, like, you know, this guy says he's a a church-going Christian, God-fearing man, and some of the things that come out of his mouth are absolutely vile and disgusting and just, like, really make you, like, question him at all, all the way around. Well, and it's, like, so bad to the point where it's, like, he's a victim's father, and we feel comfortable enough saying this guy's a, you know, 
Absolutely. Like, I would never say that about a victim's family, you know? But he's been accused of this crime. So yep. we'll get yeah. into that. I don't think he did it. I know you may have a different opinion on that, but I don't think he did it. But there were movies made on this, like we had, we've already mentioned a few times. Paradise Lost 1, 2, and 3. So these are fantastic documentaries. But they're super critical of the prosecution and the police. And they lean pretty heavy on these guys being innocent. So a lot of people are like, well, they're kind of leaned one way. But they're really not. They're just giving you the information. And that's the way it leans. Exactly. It's the facts. They're giving you the facts. And, you know, once you do yeah. look, take a deeper dive and look at the case outside of the documentaries, you see like, oh. This all leading up really like these kids should never have been convicted to begin with. And when you do hear about these at first, I think the stories tellers do a really good job of making it seem like these kids, the, you know, the West Memphis three did do this until you hear all the evidence and you go, oh, that's why they thought they did it. But they didn't. OK, cool. Right. Got it. Yeah. So these movies were also the first time Metallica let anyone use their music in a movie. So I guess that was like a big deal. Oh man. Like, oh, okay. They wouldn't even let, let us steal it off of Napster for them, for our own selves. So that was a big deal. Yeah. Lars Ulrich was probably at least in a better mood. I don't know who that is. He's the drummer of Metallica. He's the one that caused all the problems with, with Napster and people downloading their music and stuff. Oh, I don't know anything about that. That was before my time. <laughs> Wasn't. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> happened when you but... were like sixth grade. <laughs> Maybe seventh. Crazy. I know, but I don't know anything about Metallica. They were like yeah. my dad's generation band. I don't know anything about them. Yeah, I know they think uh, you should grip your pillow tight before you go to bed. Yeah, okay. It was, it was a bunch of songs and albums were written and released by various artists because of this whole thing. And all of those proceedings from you know the making of these went to the legal funds for the West Memphis Three. Super crazy metal bands like Black Flag, Super Suckers, Zao, and even Steve freaking Earl all wrote yeah. and recorded songs about this case. Yep. You want to talk about nut jobs? Steve, like, Steve Earl. Job. Yeah, he's a nut job too. He's a little bit, but yeah, we love him. You do. I do. You don't love Steve Earl? No, he makes me very uncomfortable. And so. Oh, <laughs> okay. So in 2010, CBS 48 Hours aired The Memphis Three, and it was like a deep dive of the case, including interviews with Eccles from prison. Oh, how interesting. And then, yeah. And then Aphrodite Jones did an episode on Discovery's show True Crime with Aphrodite Jones <laughs> following the DNA discoveries. And that episode premiered May 5th of 2011. And in August of 2011, White Light Productions announced that the West Memphis Three would be featured on their show titled Wrongfully Convicted. So by 2011, a lot of attention was on this case. And there was a lot of public pressure from Hollywood and the media and the West Memphis Three supporters. And there was a lot of big names with money. Like Johnny Depp, Eddie Vedder, Natalie Maines of the Dixie Chicks, Lord of the Rings director Peter Jackson, and their legal team and supporters who worked around the clock for years to get these guys out of prison. And then after a 2010 decision by the Arkansas Supreme Court regarding the DNA evidence and the potential juror misconduct with the blacking out of the confession that they were never supposed to be talking about the west memphis three began negotiations with prosecutors on a deal oh man uh, i'm glad finally it's starting to come through but on august 19th 2011 miss kelly baldwin and eccles were all made an offer after 
almost two full decades in prison for a crime they say they didn't commit, they couldn't refuse this plea deal, even though it's a little bit of a strange plea deal because it really kind of sucks for them, but they were told that they could get out of prison right away if they did it. So they entered what is called an Alford plea. And anybody who knows of this case now understands what this is. But if you don't, it essentially means that you plead guilty to the crime, but you maintain your innocence, which normally when you plead guilty, you have to admit that you were guilty. Right. An Alfred plea lets you plead guilty while maintaining that you're innocent. So you're saying that the prosecution might have enough to convict me if we go to another trial, even though I'm innocent. And the prosecution is saying, well, they might win because our case kind of fucking sucks. (laughs) So it's going to take a really long time for us to sort this out and cost the state a lot of money. And they would have to stay in prison until it was all sorted out. So it's kind of like a truce. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. And I mean, I guess that's better, but it's still like, okay, it's not better, though, because they're not exonerated. They pled guilty. So they don't get to sue the state if they're ever exonerated. They can't sue the state of Arkansas because they said they were guilty. They didn't. They said they were innocent, but they took a plea. But it, like, relieves the state from being responsible if they get exonerated. It's really kind of a shitty... It's a really shitty system. Yeah. It's not the greatest plea, but it did get them out of prison. Or, well, I guess we shouldn't say that yet. Spoiler alert! It did and it didn't. The judge had to then sentence them to 18 years and 78 days. That was the amount of time that they had served, so... All three of them were released from prison on that same day as, you know, as time served. The part that sucks about this plea deal is that the state doesn't have to admit that they were wrong, though. Like you kind of said, they can. Yeah, they just can't be sued. So you plead guilty and they don't have to keep working the case because in their eyes, it's closed. It's solved. They have someone who said they did it. Yeah. And you know what's crazy about that is that in the press conference, you know, they're literally in front of the media going, we're not going to, because the media is like, are you going to find the real killers, you know, because you're letting these three guys out. And they're like, no, we think they are the real killers. Like, we closed the case, we're done. And so they were literally still telling the media in front of these three guys that they were letting out of prison and their lawyers, like, no, we think it's them. And we're still letting him out of prison. And Damien's lawyer stood up and he was like, if you thought it was them, why wouldn't you take this to trial? Yeah, absolutely. It's sickening. You obviously don't think that you can prove this case or you wouldn't be letting them out of prison. So let's be real here. You just don't want to admit that you put three teenagers in prison for almost 20 years because you'd have to pay a lot of money to them. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the craziest things to happen in this case, and this was actually a good thing, was that Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam through a rooftop release party when these guys were released from prison. Yeah, can you imagine going to jail when you're like 17 years old and then being in there for two decades and then the night you get released, you're like hanging out with Pearl Jam? Yeah, no, I can't imagine going from, oh, I, I'm being accused of killing three kids to partying on the rooftop with Eddie Vedder. Like, that just that doesn't seem know. to go in the same sentence. Yeah, it is kind of weird. So since their release, Jesse Miss Kelly Jr., the one who falsely confessed moved back to West Memphis and lives a quiet life and doesn't have anything to do with the media. Damien and Jason are much more vocal and present in the eye of the media and the public. Time out. If this doesn't say that Jesse had a low IQ and just was not with the program before, this really says it. Why on earth would you go back to this place? He doesn't know anything different. That's I know. That's exactly it. It makes no sense other than this is all he knows. Yeah. Damien and Jason didn't go back there, though. Just for the record. And they're much more public and vocal. And they've given a lot of interviews. 
and West of Memphis, a movie by Amy Berg, and it was produced by Peter Jackson and Damien Eccles, premiered at the 2012 Sundance Film Festival, and even Johnny Depp, a longtime supporter of them, attended the Toronto Film Festival premiere of it with Damien. So he's doing movies and art and music, and but they're still trying to pursue this case because they think their best way to exonerate themselves is find the real killer. What a crazy mixed up thing. I mean, these guys were in prison for almost 20 years. They come out, they have no skills. They can't sue the the state for any money and they just have to try making it work. You know, it's crazy. But anyway, I guess this is where we can kind of talk about other suspects in the case then. Yeah. And just for the record, we are not accusing anybody of this crime because that's what happened to these boys in the first place was panic. Somebody thought they looked different or acted weird and they were like, oh, they did it. So we're just going to talk about a few weird anomalies from some of the family members and different things that happen around this case. And that's it. We're not going to accuse anybody of this crime. Not yet. (laughs) But the West Memphis PD... (laughs) The West Memphis PD briefly looked at two other teenagers as suspects. Chris Morgan and Brian Holland both had drug offenses and criminal histories, and they had both left for Oceanside, California, four days after the bodies were found. And Morgan Ooh. was thought, That's yeah, interesting. and Morgan was thought to have known all of the murdered boys because he was an ice cream truck driver in their neighborhood. Mm, that's so, and that's a really interesting, you know, thought behind mm-hmm. all that too. And taken off, it's very coincidental. Yep. So they were arrested in Oceanside in May, um, on May seventeenth, nineteen ninety three, by California police. And they both took polygraph exams and the examiners reported that both men showed deception, which there's proof of, unlike Damien's lie detector. We save things here in California. Yeah. So during their questioning, Morgan claimed that because of his drinking and drug use, he had blackouts and memory lapses and that he might have killed the boys. But then quick. (laughs) Yeah. But then he quickly recanted this part of his statement. It was like, oh, maybe not. It's like. What? You don't just say that. What? Yeah, exactly. What do you mean? Just I'm, I don't know. I might have done it. Yeah. So California police sent blood and urine samples from these two guys to the West Memphis Police Department. But there's no record that the West Memphis Police ever investigated them as suspects or anything, ever tested any of that, nothing. It's crazy. Why Why wouldn't you test that? I mean, well, cause, I guess I understand why, because they thought it was case, case closed and solved, yeah. but... <sighs> It just doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. So Morgan's statement would be kind of debated in trial, but it it was ultimately barred from being admissed as evidence by the judge. So the jury never heard it. That's nuts. One other suspect that I really like and comes up pretty frequently is Mr. Bo Jangles. (laughs) And according (laughs) according to the West Memphis police officers, on the evening of May 5th, 1993 at 842 workers at a local Bojangles restaurant located it was about a mile from the crime scene in Robin Hood Hills reported seeing a black man who what they said seemed mentally disoriented inside the woman's restroom and the man was either bleeding or had blood on him and had brushed against the bathroom walls and the officer that was called to the scene, Officer Regina Meeks, was talking to the restaurant manager through the Bojangles drive-through. Okay, so there is so many parts of this already that are what? like, 
Okay, first of all, what the fuck is a Bojangles? <laughs> I've actually been to a Bojangles in North Carolina, and it's just a fast food restaurant. It's not very good, but yeah. if you're from that area, I'm sure you love it. Secondly, they just have mentally disoriented, bloody people in the girls' bathroom just rubbing all over the walls. Like, that seems very it's unsanitary. Just is what it is. Yeah, it is. And then... Yeah, it's, a, it's pretty strange. And then when the cops show up, they take the report through the drive-thru? Yeah, that never made sense to me either. Like, why on earth are you... Just in the drive-thru, like, did she have to wait in the line while other cars came through to get their orders yeah. before she could come up and take her report? She's like, oh, well, while I'm here, let me have a number three, please, with no pickles. And yeah. also, what's going on with the bloody guy in your bathroom? What's going on in here? Oh, is you having an emergency? Let me hear about yeah. it. Yeah. But by the what? time she... Yeah, because by, by the time she got there and went through the drive-thru and had to pull up and wait for her order to be finished, the man was gone, and she never even went inside of the restroom. Are you kidding me like <laughs> what are you talking about how did you not go inside the restaurant and look at this because grant her number three with no pickles was getting cold bro <laughs> i guess so man like you know they shouldn't have made her pull up to the drive through or pull up and wait for her order they should have just given it to her right then and she would have eaten it and gone in yeah <sighs> all right i'm i'm cooling i'm calming down again yeah, this Bojangles thing is kind of weird. You could really go down this for a while. Well, especially because the day after the bodies were found, the Bojangles manager, Marty King, not to be confused with Martin Luther King, thinking that there was a possible connection to the bloody man found in the bathroom, <laughs> called the cops again. And this time, detectives came and they went inside and they took some blood samples. Wait, wait, wait. Cool. Wait, wait, wait. The next day? Yeah, the next day. So these Why wasn't this clean, yeah, Bojangles? That's what I was just like, I was like, they didn't clean the blood off the walls? What do you mean the next day? You're a restaurant. Yo, this is They just, just left getting... blood on the walls. <laughs> this we need to go visit West Memphis and just see what kind of an area it is. I know it's not nineteen ninety three anymore, but I really need to know what was going on in there. That why is there still blood on the walls? I mean, thank God there was, because they were able to take the samples, but like, Jesus, the next day. Well, you ready for this? The detective that took the samples, uh, Brian Ridge, he testified that he later lost those blood scrapings. Oh, yeah. Of course he did. That makes sense. <sighs> I think from now on, I'm just going to start calling this place Meth Memphis. <laughs> Instead of West Memphis? <laughs> yeah. I just think that with everything going on, I think uh, Meth Memphis or even West Meth Miss might fit the bill better. Yeah, I would explain some of the shit going on in here better. Yeah, I know. But a hair was identified as belonging to a black man was later recovered from a sheet that was wrapped around one of the victims. But with how contaminated the crime scene was, who knows what, like, where that came from or whose it was or, you know, if it was tested or any of yeah, that. Yeah, because why are they wrapped in sheets? Well, because the crime scene, again, is completely contaminated. Yeah, because they weren't found wrapped in sheets, which means somebody put a sheet around them. Right. And I can guarantee you they weren't from the coroner's office because a coroner would never put yeah, a sheet absolutely. on them. Especially not a sheet. Well, I don't know if that's true. Well, they're not putting a sheet on them like a regular sheet that would have hair caught in it. That would be well, cross-contaminated. They would use like a, a tarp that doesn't have somebody else's DNA all over it, I would imagine. If it's a crime scene, no? Well, you would hope. Yeah. Although this is Meth Memphis, so maybe their corner does, but you would hope not. I, I mean, you would hope, but yeah. I can understand, too. Like, you know, somebody cleaned it and their DNA is I get it, but they don't yeah. love it. Seems awkward. So... It does seem awkward. Then we get to my husband's favorite <laughs> suspect. Your husband and probably mine, too. Yeah. I think a lot of people like John Mark Byers, who was the adopted... I at least think he's worth a 
pretty deep dive look at into this guy is he's I'm not accusing him of anything, but he is an interesting character to say the absolute least. Yeah, and he is married to Melissa Byers, and they're both the most visible and angry and vocal of the three sets of parents. Oh, you mean like hiking back to the place the boys' bodies were recovered and making graves for Damien, Jason, and Jesse, and then pouring lighter fluid (laughs) on all of them, setting them on fire while cursing their names? Yep. Or... Giving a knife to a cameraman named Doug Cooper during the filming of the first Paradise Lost movie. And the knife was like a folding hunting knife. And HBO executives told the cameraman to give the knife to the West Memphis Police Department when they realized that there was blood on it. Yep. Yep. That'll do it. Yeah. So if anyone ever gives you a knife from crime to crime, life lesson 11 teen or 11. Ooh. Let's say Kalevin. If anybody hands you a knife with blood on it, either take it and take it to the police or don't take it. You have two options. Yeah. So Byers first said that the knife had never been used. And then when blood was found on it, he was like, oh, wait a second. Maybe I used it that one time to cut deer meat. And then when the blood matched both his and Chris's, he was like, oh, maybe I don't know how that blood got on there. Maybe I cut my thumb. Like he's constantly like changing his story about different things oh my my blood type is deer actually yeah. no no wonder yeah so further testing of the knife produced inconclusive results because the small amount of blood that was on there him and chris shared the same hla dq genotype or whatever so there was no way to know but buyers agreed to and passed a polygraph test about the murders during the filming of Paradise Lost 2, but he was on some pretty severe drugs when he took that test, yeah, no like kidding. Xanax and Depakote and like a whole bunch of shit that you can't be on when you take a lie detector test. Yeah, no wonder he passed. Yeah, and watching that, he clearly lies about other things that are provable in that <laughs> test, and then they say he passed the test, so I'm like, well, that lie detector test was bullshit. Because they asked him if he'd ever been convicted of any other crimes or anything. And he's like, oh, no, just a DWI. Like, he says it like, oh, everybody in Arkansas is a DWI. It's like, "Mm, okay. First of all, it's a crime. Remember that that time in our lives from, like, 21 to, like, maybe 25 where it really did seem like everybody just had a DUI? I never had one. You never had one. Yeah. But it really did seem like everyone was just like, oh, yeah, my friends have DUIs. I know that guy who has one or two. I knew a guy who had three or four at one point. Yeah. Yeah, there was a time where everybody was getting them. It was kind of weird. Yeah. But that's how Terry Hobbs acted in this interview. He's like, oh, just a DWI, just like everybody else. You know, it's like, it's not routine, but okay. And But there's other things he's been convicted of. And he said no in that lie detector. And it said that he was telling the truth. It's like, okay, well, that's obviously a lie. Um, You said Terry Hobbs. Did you mean John Mark Byers? Oh, I absolutely did. But that's foreshadowing. Yeah. Terry Hobbs is the next suspect. Yeah, I thought you might have, but sorry, John Mark Byers. Everybody, they get—they're <laughs> okay. already confused. They don't know who any of these people are. It, it's obvious. There's so many twists and turns and stuff. As if this can't get any worse. On March 29th, 1996, Melissa Byers was found dead. She was naked and alone, and her cause of death is still undetermined. So, so fingers are pointing back at one particular suspect again over a mysterious death in the family. Yeah. Things don't look too good for John Mark Byers, although she was known to dabble with drugs and their marriage was very rocky at this point. He already had another girlfriend and it's kind of there's some weirdness. That just sounds like more of a case to, to 
make him a suspect. Yeah. I've heard it from a lot of people. They don't think he did it, but I think at the very least, he's a person of interest. Yeah. I don't think he did it, but. In another interesting twist, after they were convicted, Eccles, Miss Kelly, and Baldwin, they submitted their imprints of their teeth. These were compared to the alleged bite marks that were found on the boy's face, and that had not been mentioned in the original autopsy or the trial. And guess what? No matches were found. John Mark Byers, though, had his teeth removed in 1997 before an imprint could be made. And he's given different reasons as to why he had them removed. And I'm sure there are different reasons you can have them removed. And having them taken out four years after the fact doesn't really add up either. Like, why would you wait four years? But why do you have different reasons for it? I mean, well, that seems kind of odd, too. I think the implication of the four years thing was... In the original trial and autopsy, it was never mentioned. It wasn't brought up until four years after the deaths. When the Paradise oh, Lost okay, crew so. found the bite marks. That's why. Gotcha. Because okay, when they found sense. the bite marks and started looking into this, you know, the prosecution is saying those aren't bite marks. They're something else. And right. the defense experts are like, these are clearly human bite marks. And they don't match any of the West Memphis Three. And so then they started looking into other people and turns out... John Mark Byers and Terry Hobbs had their teeth removed. What? Yeah. And what's weird about that is why are all these people getting their teeth? They're like in their 30s. Like, what is going on with your teeth? Well, you kind of touched on it earlier that this was kind of a place where you did drugs and meth mouth was kind yeah, of a thing. Yes, because anyone who knows anything about meth knows that it messes with your teeth pretty bad. So, yeah, I can kind of understand why they are missing teeth so early on. Yeah, because if you think about, like, when this happened, these people are, like, our age, and they have, like, no teeth. And I'm like, what is going on here? And weird, too, when you look at them, they don't look like our age. They look kind of like old people. Do we look like old people? Well, I think that was 1993. I think that was the hair and the outfits and the, you know, the no teeth. (laughs) Oh, we just think they look old? Yeah. I mean, some people just have, like, issues with their teeth, and they have to, or medications or different things, but... I don't know. It seems weird that two different fathers in the story both had their teeth removed after their children were murdered and there's oh, yeah. bite marks on their face. So that's kind of weird. Yeah, it's it's pretty strange. And who the hell's biting the kids' faces anyway? That's also another really weird thing. Yeah. Well, and then there's debate that it could have been snapping turtles, but this specific bite mark looks human. Right. All right. So we're going to go over one last person of interest here and... We didn't put his name last because he's the one who did it or to make him seem any more important than any of the other ones. Wink, wink. (laughs) But Terry Hobbs, who was Stevie Branch's stepfather, when the DNA collected from the crime scene was finally tested, none of it matched Eccles Baldwin or Miss Kelly. But a hair that was not inconsistent with Stevie Branch's father, Terry Hobbs, (laughs) was found tied into the knot used to bind one of the victims. I'm like, and so okay. that is, yeah, I get that. And that is crazy, but they, they were tied up with their own shoelaces. So it's not out of the question that one of his hairs was in there. Sh- you know, it's, yeah, and it's not. I, and it is mitochondrial DNA. So it's not as exact, which is why we use the term not inconsistent with instead of match. So, but, We're not accusing anyone, but it is very like eye-opening. Like, huh, mm-hmm. what are the odds of somebody taking the shoelaces out of the shoes, tying them up, have them in the water, you know, that kind of stuff, yeah. and it was in one of the knots? Yeah. It's so, kind of suspect. Yeah, so Pamela Hobbs has also stated that after the murders, she found in Terry's nightstand 
a knife that Stevie carried with him every day. And she thought this knife was with him when he was murdered. It was a pocket knife that his grandpa had given him. And she was sure he carried it every day. And she thought that either the murderer took it with him or they just never found it in the creek. So she was pretty shocked when she found it one day in her husband's nightstand. So what was his excuse for having it? He says that he took it away from Stevie before the murders because he didn't think an eight-year-old should have a pocket knife, which maybe not, but... I can understand that, yeah. Also inconsistent with the type of parenting we've seen so far in this case. So Yeah, and with the violence and just kind of inconsistencies in parenting that from where these kids came from, I don't think that them having a pocket knife would be something that would really stand out to them. Yeah, like for Terry Hobbs to be like, you can't have that pocket knife. It's like, what? Well, you can't have that meth, Terry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's a lot of other things that have happened besides these little, like I said, we're just totally scratching the surface because we could go on for days about how less than a year after the murders, Terry beat up Pamela pretty bad. And then she called her brother over to the house because he beat her up. And then her brother and him got in a fight and then Terry shot her brother. And there was like that oh, whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an episode of Cops. Yeah. So this is like the dynamics that we're dealing with here. And we should mention that we got a lot of this info that makes him look bad from Terry himself. Because even though the West Memphis, what did you say? The meth, <laughs> how do you say it? The meth Memphis yeah, yeah, Police yeah. Department. So even though the Meth Memphis Police Department didn't interview him for 14 years after <laughs> for the deaths, somebody else did. Oh, man. I love that Meth Memphis has taken off. But yep. Yeah, he even ended up suing Natalie Maines of the Dixie Chicks for defamation because after the DNA evidence pointed to the hair and the knot belonging to Terry, she mentioned that a bunch and he saw a celebrity and thought, oh, a payday. So he hired some Arkansas lawyer and sued her for defamation. But what this idiot this is my didn't know was when you sue somebody, you have to be deposed by their lawyers. So there's hours of Terry sitting there being asked questions by Natalie Maine's attorneys <laughs> that make him look terrible. Like, they don't make him look good. And the police would have this too, but they didn't talk to him for like 14 years. And when they did, I would definitely not call it an interrogation. Like, her lawyers asked him tougher questions than the West Memphis Police Department did. The meth. <laughs> I'm going to get it right one of these times. The meth Memphis Police Department did. The best part about this lawsuit is he not only lost... But he was ordered to pay Natalie Maines $17,598. Like, what What on earth made this guy think that he could take this on? Well, the funnier part about that is he also had to pay his own attorney. Oh, God. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Can so. you imagine, like, his uh, his attorney being like, shit, her fucking lawyers made seventeen grand." Like, I'm sure his attorney or, didn't make 17 grand. Or what may have happened is a meth Memphis attorney said to Terry, hey, let's sue Natalie Maines for defamation and we'll make a ton of money. I won't take any money from you until we get our big okay, payday. Don't, yeah, probably. See... But that's not as funny as thinking that he was pissed that <laughs> Terry only paid him 300 bucks. And Natalie Maines' well, attorney's that... made 17 grand. <laughs> And they probably on top did, of like, what already she's paying them. Well, and I'm sure they didn't even have to do hardly any work. They just had to show up in an Arkansas court. They were like, "All right, pay for our plane flights and our hotel in this dank town." I think they may have just showed up in court and looked at one side, which was mm -hmm. Natalie Maines's attorneys, and looked at the other side, and were like, "Well, 
Case solved. Yeah, case <laughs> we closed. don't need to hear anything. We know. Yeah. We got it. It's over. Well, judging by how trials go in West Memphis, that makes sense. It definitely could be how it happened. <laughs> yeah. But. but like I said, just because these things don't add up doesn't make them guilty of a murder. No, doesn't at all. It doesn't help that the only physical evidence that was found of this crime, which is crazy too, is that hair. Like, how can a triple homicide of three eight-year-olds be committed and nothing? There's nothing. Right. Like, do you really think that teenagers could do that and leave zero evidence? Like, they wouldn't have bloody shoes at home or a bloody teacher. Teenagers don't clean their fucking rooms. Like, they're going to have everything that was muddy from that crime scene in their bedrooms. Yeah, they'd have nowhere else to take it or or they would have dumped it in one central location. So, yeah, it makes sense that they didn't do it. And I'm not saying that the parents did it either, although there are some, you know, Weird things that don't add up, up. but there were some weird things with the original three as well. So it's hard to say that definitively one versus the other. Right. So if you believe the West Memphis three are innocent, the brutal murder of three eight-year-old boys is still unsolved. Yeah. Which is the saddest part because they kind of get lost in this whole thing because this case ends up being about these extra characters, Damien and... John Mark Byers and Terry Hobbs, like all these people that are larger than life and very charactery, end up taking over this story and you kind of lose the story of Chris, Michael, and Stevie. This is a really hard case, too, because there's two sets of three victims all in all. And kids, too. Obviously, the three eight-year-old boys and then the West Memphis three, right? you know, really kind of had their lives taken away from them for no reasons. Obviously, the West Memphis three are out. The little boys are dead. But- for 20 years to get taken in at that time, that's a crucial age to be taken into prison and then try to have to pick up your life and, and move on from there. And I don't know if we mentioned it or not, but uh, quite a few people that were very vocal in the beginning about the boys being guilty, like John Mark Byers and Pamela Hobbs and, you know, some of the victims' families and stuff, have really done a 180 on this. And they also believe that the West Memphis Three are innocent. It's because they don't want anyone accusing them of anything. I don't know. Oh, yeah. They're they're innocent. We need to find who did it, though. I mean, maybe. But I really think that that's one thing, though, with John Mark Byers. Like in the beginning, I thought like, oh, the reason he was being so extra about it being these guys and he was going to spit on their graves and he was shooting pumpkins and doing all this weird stuff was because he was yep. trying to take attention away from him. But he's still doing weird shit like that, even though he's saying now that they're innocent. So it's like, I think that's just who he is. I think he's, he's just, just a weird dude. Extra. Like, I don't know. Just extra weird? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, really. But I think that's kind of big of him to be so angry and so hateful at these guys thinking that they murdered his child to do a 180 and go, oh, my God, I think they were wrongly convicted. Like, I think we were fed a line of bullshit. Like, that does show a little bit of growth from him that... It does. But anyway, I just wanted to make sure that we put that in there, that some of the families of the victims have really done a 180 when in the beginning they were so adamant that these teenage boys did this. Some of the ones that were even the loudest about it, like John Mark Byers, have changed their minds. And they're pretty much convinced these guys are innocent. And you're right. That does speak volumes of what's to be said of these kids. You yeah. Know? And that's what sucks for them, too, because if they do believe these guys are innocent, then they also think that they got cheated. You know, there's been no justice for their kids. If they don't think these guys did it, there's been no justice for those three little boys. Right. And I mean, at this point, I don't know how they're can be any justice with 
out any physical evidence leading anyone to anything. And the physical evidence that there was, the police botched and is gone. If Could you imagine if we had those blood scrapings and what we might be able to figure out because of that? Yeah. I don't think that was related, but yeah. I think I definitely think it could be somewhat related. I think that was a random weird thing that happened. And I think weird random things happen in West Memphis, Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And obviously... Probably a lot more than we know. Well, that's what I was going to say is obviously it happened a lot more than we think because they didn't even bother to wash the blood off the bathroom walls for a day. Like if that wasn't a regular Yeah, that's pretty crazy. They would have had a hazmat team in there that night cleaning that up. Have you ever thought that this could have been Samuel Little? No. Oh, well, have you thought about it now? Well, yeah. What do you think? Well, that would make the Bojangles thing make more sense. Yep. But Samuel Little only killed women as far as we know. But I guess he probably wouldn't admit to it if he killed three little boys. Yeah, that's pretty tough. So, yeah. Who knows? And maybe the timelines don't match up. I haven't compared them. Oh. Just a thought. Yeah. I don't know. I've I've always thought that it was somebody that knew them because most of the time when little kids get killed, it's somebody, you know, that they know. It's usually that's true. a parent. Well, and that goes back to, was it John Mark Byers? Was it Terry Hobbs? Could it have been both of them? Right. I mean, I think that's unlikely, but I think it's not out of the question. No. Yeah, it's not out of the question. And the other thing is, when there's a triple murder of three little boys, that probably changes everything, too. Maybe it's less likely to be the parents if it was three of them. You know what I mean? I don't know the stats on that. But, like, when it's one little kid, you're more likely to be killed by your parents or somebody that you know than somebody random. But when it's three little kids, how do you know? Well, maybe that's how it started. Maybe, you know, one of the kids got in a fight with his dad and... You know, there was obviously abuse happening at some points. Maybe it got mm-hmm. too far that these two other boys that were together came up, you saw know, saw too much. And yeah. yeah. And that's why there was no sexual, you know, anything. But whoever did it, whichever, let's say dad did it, couldn't be caught, you know, could not be caught for it. And the only witnesses that he had were right there. Yeah. Maybe. It would make sense. So. Or it could have been, it could have been a separate murderer. Same thing, you know. Kidnapped his kid, took him into the woods. His friends came up and they were, you know, victims because of that too. So, yeah, could be. Yeah. Anyways, we could go on about this for days. So, oh, yeah. I love this case. So, we could keep going about it. Yeah. But we should let all these people go because we've been talking for, I don't know, a million years, two million years. <laughs> At least. Yeah. I Hopefully, I'll true. edit it down to like a consumable amount of time. Uh, yeah. Hopefully. If you guys are still here. Let us know. We'll give you a shirt. Yeah, but hopefully someday they get justice for these kids because that's the saddest part of this whole thing is that they kind of get lost in the whole thing. There is a memorial for them at their elementary school, Weaver Elementary in West Memphis, and it just kind of has their names on a big old plaque out in the front of the school. And the principal actually a few years ago raised funds to have it like cleaned up and restored a bit. So they are being remembered in that way. Yeah. So do you think that we missed anything? I mean, I know we missed a lot of stuff, but do you think that we missed <laughs> yeah. anything that's like crazy needs to be said or you think we got it all? I think we did a better job than the West Memphis Police Department, if I'm being honest. So I think we covered it all. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd like that. I'm sure the West Memphis, Arkansas police don't, but. Uh, they're probably not listening. It's okay. <laughs> well, they'll never listen to this because they don't care what really happened in this case. <laughs> Clearly, right? And the people on this case probably are retired by now anyway. Yeah. You would hope. So that's it. We did it. 
Season one is over. That's a wrap. I can't believe that we did it. I know. We finally did it. After all the the troubles that we've had getting set up, everything standing in our way. Congratulations, Erica. (laughs) We completed season one. Hey, you too, man. I know. Most of those challenges were me, so... (laughs) (laughs) oh man make sure to follow us where you get your podcasts so you don't miss the start of season two you can follow us and stay up to date on instagram or tiktok at from to crime at from crime to crime for new releases see i told you i'm the problem i know (laughs) i'm like they're not gonna get any updates at from to crime yeah you know where to go to find us we're always here So we're not going anywhere. We'll be totally available on Instagram. We're just taking a couple weeks to try to get ahead on research and editing and all that since we're a one-man show here. Well, two men. (laughs) We're a one-man show. We're two, but... We're two hosts with... We're we're a a one-and-a-half-person show. Maybe one and a quarter. Yeah, we're... That's that's a good way. One and a half. Yeah. But it's mostly just because I don't trust you. It's not that you won't do the work. It's that you'll do the work and then I'll do it over anyway. Right. It's that you don't trust me and I don't trust me. So I just stay out of it and then everybody's happy. But it's like it has nothing to do with you. I wouldn't trust anybody. Oh, well, no, I get that. I, I for one, wouldn't trust me personally. So I'm not offended. (laughs) I don't. don't, I'm not upset about it. I'm happy. I'm just happy to be involved. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Well, stay tuned. We're not going to be gone for too long. Just a short, short hiatus so that we can get. A little bit ahead of this, you know, every week was kind of a lot. Yeah, we didn't intend to do it that way, but, you know, it was our first time doing a podcast, so. We really dove headfirst into the deep end, so. Yeah, we didn't hold our our breath very well, but we're here. Yeah. So if you have any case suggestions for season two, please send them our way, email or at Instagram. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of really good fan requests that we are going to be doing for season two that cases that some of them we haven't even heard of before, which is not surprising for me, but if Erica doesn't know it. It must be obscure. Yeah. I also forget most of them even after I hear them. So I may have heard it, but then I'll just forget anyway later. (laughs) All right, buddy. All right. Well, this is it for a couple of weeks. All right. Well, it was nice knowing you. We'll we'll talk again in a couple of weeks. But until then, I love you. I love you too. And we love all of you. We love all of you. Thank you for coming. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) You can stop it. Thank you for coming. (laughs)